Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Hello, my name is Greg Monteith. The intention of this episode, the fifth episode on the Foundations of Flourishing Curriculum 1, was for it to be a roundup of the previous four podcasts with a goal of highlighting the most important, or perhaps underexposed aspects, of the first half of the curriculum that they present. However, over the course of producing this series of podcasts and considering the aims and focus areas of the Foundations of Flourishing program, I've come to understand that there is a larger issue that needs to be presented as part of presenting this First Steps curriculum, which is the initial curriculum of the Foundations program. Let me begin by explaining that the Foundations of Flourishing program and the entire integration project, of which it is a part, is not primarily an educational effort. In other words, it is not mainly aimed at providing information or at teaching techniques or strategies. Instead, it is above all a response to a problem. It is a response to what I see as a major and critical problem within evangelical Christianity. To put it simply, the integration project and the foundations of flourishing curriculums are not designed to make what is currently a good thing great, or even to make an acceptable thing better. They are instead designed to make an essentially dysfunctional thing functional, to make something that is broken actually work. Now, it may take a moment or two for the full implication of what I'm saying here to sink in. I am actually saying that evangelical Christianity is not simply in need of some improvement here or there. I am saying that it is fundamentally broken. I am of the opinion, in other words, that the evangelical church, by and large, cannot carry out its role as either imaging Christ or as offering a viable and valuable embodiment of Christianity to the larger world. So in key ways, the evangelical church is neither able to help those inside become truly Christ-like, nor is it able effectively to persuade outsiders that Christ-likeness, at least on its terms and presentation, is a valuable or viable way of being. To put this in terms of Christian terminology, in my view, the evangelical church in North America is currently patently failing at both discipleship and the Great Commission. Now, the majority of my graduate research was aimed at explaining this problem and proposing its solution. And while I believe that that work is valuable in detailing the problem and its solution, I think that explaining the experiential origins of my view, the circumstances and events that help me become aware of the problem, are the best way to explain how this problem affects the presentation of the Foundations of Flourishing program and why it's important for me to detail this now at this midway point in the first of the Foundations of Flourishing curriculums. Over the past 35 years, I have attended over a dozen evangelical churches for a period of nine months or more. And above all others, the most consistent feature of these churches is the inability and or unwillingness of church leaders to accept challenge, critique, or even engage in dialogue. Indeed, church leadership in all Protestant evangelical traditions that I have experienced seems oriented in very much the same manner as their Catholic counterpart, only without acknowledging an outside supreme authority, such as the Pope and the Magisterium. 
The implications of this orientation, in my view, are threefold. First, the pronounced distinction between leaders and followers has created an atmosphere that severely overstates expectations of leaders and severely underplays expectations of non-leaders. This disjunction is simultaneous, where leaders being aggrandized necessitates non-leaders being debased, and vice versa. The result is that leaders, and by this I mean pastors essentially in evangelical churches, being put in the position where it is simply expected that they know all the right answers, or that whatever answers they offer must be the best answers. This similarly results in non-leaders effectively abdicating their responsibility to think through various matters related to their faith, because if pastor knows the answer, then the only real need is to know the pastor's view on any matter related to one's faith. Second, exaggerated expectations that vastly elevate leaders above non-leaders requires an excess of trust and loyalty from parishioners towards their pastors and ministers. My point here is that these exaggerated expectations are not simply an overblown acknowledgement of the pastor's greater training and or experience, but they require, and so they actually thereby create, a certain sort of dysfunctional community structure. This structure, which normalizes excessive trust in and loyalty towards leadership, results at best in leaders believing that they are more capable than they really are, and at worst it creates a cult of the leader, where the pastor or minister accepts and even promotes, at some level, veneration by his parishioners. The effect of this dysfunctional structure is that leaders not only become overconfident and risk becoming unable to admit or even perceive when they reach their limitations, but they lack any external warning systems from the community, as a result, that would normally alert them to the need to seek outside support, get a second opinion, or rethink a particular matter. Third, exaggerated expectations and an environment of excessive trust and loyalty combine to reinforce the normative understanding of the pastor's authority on any and all matters related to faith, on any and all matters related to faith. A key implication, then, is that dialogue is ultimately unimportant, and perhaps even unnecessary, because it is the role of leadership, who understand the truth, to declare and explain the truth, not to discuss it, or worse still, to be seriously questioned, or even taken to task over their view of quote-unquote, the truth. The three preceding implications mark out what I believe to be the predominant trajectory within the evangelical church and a primary manifestation of its dysfunction. Not only that, but it should be obvious that this trajectory is constructed in such a way as to be both self-reinforcing and well-defended, perhaps even impervious, to outside attempts to examine it critically. So because it is self-reinforcing, it has, ironically, no self-correcting mechanism. And this is ironic because the thrust of the biblical text is constantly to call readers to examine themselves and their motives with a critical eye, to be suspicious of ourselves. And because it is well-defended against any outside attempts to examine it critically, it is very unlikely that appeals from outside could alter this trajectory. This dysfunctional trajectory within the evangelical church then creates a combination of independence and insularity that, in turn, undermines 
a truthful evaluation of both oneself and the other, and therefore distorts the ability lovingly to engage with both oneself and with others. Less truth, less love. Less credibility, less cohesiveness. Yet the factors that contribute to this dysfunction actually become standards of faithfulness, meaning practices that are essential for community and membership within these dysfunctional communities that then, therefore, preclude community members, including, and sometimes especially so, including pastors, from perceiving the remarkably dysfunctional and indeed the anti-Christian nature of such evaluations and engagements. So what is the upshot of all this for the integration project, and particularly for the Foundations of Flourishing program? First of all, integration project aims to address a serious and deep-rooted problem in evangelical Christianity. Second, an important consequence of the above is that the Foundations program is not simply aimed at parishioners. It is aimed at pastors and ministers as well. This offers a dual challenge. On the one hand, how can I communicate to pastors that an essential step in improving the health of their church is that they participate in this program? On the other hand, how can someone who has been conditioned to view himself, him, I say, because most pastors are male, conditioned to view himself as extra capable and extra knowledgeable in spiritual matters, how can such a person actually hear that he needs to develop the skills, dispositions, and knowledge to revisit and reform these apparently normative assumptions. These are significant challenges. It is for this reason that the entire First Steps curriculum indirectly addresses this distortion between leaders and non-leaders within the evangelical church, yet it does so non-thematically, in a manner that does not call attention to itself. Instead, it achieves this goal by addressing common and known issues with a view to developing the skills, dispositions, and knowledge necessary to live the Christian life well and to enable fluid and viable engagement with those outside of one's faith group. Indeed, it is these same skills or the same skills, dispositions, and knowledge that allow us to flourish in our lives as Christians and engage well with outsiders that also facilitates the reevaluation and replacement of dysfunctional habits and orientations. So what I'm saying is that the skills, dispositions, and knowledge that are the focal points of the Foundations of Flourishing program actually do double duty. They both allow us to flourish in our lives as Christians and engage well with those outside, but they also allow us to reevaluate and ultimately replace the dysfunctional habits and orientations that have become typical, in my understanding and in my experience, of the evangelical church. Yet there is also a clear need to be straightforward and frank not only about evangelical dysfunction at large, but also with ourselves and with our own church. At this midpoint in the First Steps curriculum, it's time for participants to go back, then, to the Foundations of Flourishing survey questions and to reconsider their answers in light of the three implications, which I gave above, which we may also call three indications of dysfunction. So to recap those three indications, they are 1. A pronounced distinction between leaders and followers has created an atmosphere that severely overstates expectations of leaders and severely underplays expectations of non-leaders. Two, this pronounced distinction creates a structure that normalizes excessive trust in and loyalty towards leadership, 
resulting, at best, in leaders believing that they are more capable than they really are, and at worst, in a cult of the leader, where the pastor or minister accepts and even promotes veneration. Third, this then creates a normative understanding of the pastor's authority on any and all matters related to faith, with the implication that dialogue is ultimately unimportant and perhaps even unnecessary. Because leaders are to declare and explain the truth, not to discuss it, or worse still, to be seriously questioned or even taken to task over their view of the truth. Ultimately, it will be necessary to ask oneself some hard questions about how and how much one may be contributing to the sort of community where members abdicate their thinking on matters related to their faith, where members offer too much trust and loyalty to their pastors, and where members tolerate and even perpetuate an environment where dialogue is effectively precluded. And, ultimately, it will be necessary for the pastor to ask him or herself hard questions about how and how much she or he is contributing to the sort of community where he overstates his authority and knowledge on matters related to Christianity, where she or he accepts or even encourages too much trust and loyalty from others, and where she or he condones or even promotes an environment where dialogue is effectively absent. In short, if Christianity is to be whole and rich, rather than broken and dysfunctional, all parties must begin asking hard questions about these matters, and also backing up those hard questions with truthful answers, and in many cases, I wager, with changed attitudes and behaviors. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.